Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A Comics and Pop Culture Peace League. Here comes episode 144, our second of 2014, with Graham McMillan and I discussing a whole mess of comic books, as well as some comic books that are holy messes. Topics today include a theory of the recent issues of Shaolin Cowboy by Jeff Darrow, a theory that is extensive, but not nearly as well supported as it would probably like, reviews of The Fox by Dean Hasfield and Mark Wade, The Silver Surfer by Mike Allred and Dean Hasfield, The Power of Warlock, Constantine and Justice League Dark, the Star Trek photo novel Strange New Worlds, and the first 25 issues of The Avengers by Stanley, Jack Kirby, Don Heck, Chick Stone, Wally Wood, and others. All of this covered in your two-hour podcast. Show notes are now available at cybersquake.com, and as always, we welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And, as always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. It's happening! Finally! Yes! Hello! Graham McMillan. Hello! Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Okay. Do you want to close your curtains behind you? Because as I recall, that was the thing last time. Son of a cock. Uh, they, they already are. It's just that bright. Oh, really? Okay. And I'm getting... That's this- right. I'm going cl- to minimize the window. Okay. Let me minimize the window. Hopefully this will help as well. Um, oh, I, I minimized the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeff Lester. Uh, Graham McMillan. My goodness. Hey. We have so many comic books to talk about. Uh, yeah, almost all of them are Avengers comics. <laughs> well, I actually have some stuff. This is the thing that's great, is because last time we spent the vast majority of it talking about news. Like, there's a lot of stuff I did not talk about, per se. Yeah, although. so, mm-hmm. I, you said that last time, so we should actually, like, so what What have you read that you're like, I have to talk to people about this? Okay, uh, the big thing for me was reading Shaolin Cowboy number four. Um, and, and why? Because I've heard very. I don't. I haven't read it. But I've heard very mixed things about it. Oh yeah, actually, um, there's a lot of people that kind of hated it. So, as you may recall, that was, that was my polite way of saying that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, full-on spoilers for people who who um, uh, are worried about this sort of thing. Because I need to talk. I have to talk about the ending of Shaolin Cowboy Four, and I have to talk about. I guess kind of the whole thing. So, as you may recall... Um, okay, so go. Okay. Spoil. Spoil. So, Shaolin Cowboy number four has a sequence of Shaolin Cowboy beating up zombies, which is a continuation of the sequence that took up the entirety of Shaolin Cowboy number three, which is Shaolin Cowboy beating up zombies. It That was a continuation of Shaolin Cowboy issue number two, which was Shaolin Cowboy beating up zombies. It is Mm -hmm. literally, it's a four issue arc. The first issue, I think maybe even sets things up where in he starts off fighting them with like chainsaws on the end of his bow staff. So he's basically whipping around chainsaws and cutting through all these zombies. And then of course he runs out of gas uh, each chainsaw, and then he just starts fighting them with the stick, and then he just starts fighting them when the staff breaks. So issue four is the is eighteen pages or so of Shaolin Cowboy punching and kicking the heads off of zombies, and then um, at the end of it, after he's finally beaten the last zombie, and this has been taking place out in the desert, and he's you see this huge path of destruction at which he's 
cut through everybody. He's basically shot by a hipster dude um, who he had – who basically had, had bad-mouthed him back in issue one, essentially. So <laughs> – I I the snark just fills up based on that description alone. Yeah, right. So Shaolin Cowboy, it does all this stuff. Then he gets shot down by at a distance. Um, and how do I put it? So I think the the way that a lot of people looked at it on the internet was Jeff Darrow basically pulling um, an incredibly detailed piss take slash fuck you on the reader. Because after three issues of watching this guy kick zombies, and it's nothing but that. And for the most part, the panel lengths don't change, right? Do you have that, a question? That's what's, that's what's amazing to me. Yeah. The, like, the idea that it's that long of, of a one fight scene. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it almost – so there there is a um, – I didn't like Shaolin Cowboy number one. It felt kind of rushed and kind of weird. Like it had a great text recap page that was just jammed full of Brandon Graham-esque puns. It's got the sequence where he – because he, he's basically been vomited out of hell from his last – the previous storyline. Um, he ends up like being chased by all these dead souls and uh, – zombies, I should say. And, you know, ends up pissing off the bros – you know, while sort of half saving them, half tricking them, right? And then there's this yeah. whole sequence, right? So it it is amazing that it, this whole sequence happens, and then just at the end of it, like then then Shaolin Cowboy gets gunned down, and it kind of by this other, and it just seems like this huge fuck you to the reader, like really. And I understand why people took it that way because it really does seem like especially because the the scenes of Shaolin Cowboy for three issues fighting the zombies are so much the same like it's usually yeah. a full page um, you know like a widescreen panel it's got him kicking and punching you know he's usually in the center of the action he's surrounded by these nude zombies and the zombies all have like tattoos on them and they also have these bugs these scarabs crawling all over them um mm -hmm. and so the tattoos are incredibly like darrow-esque um uh, and he spends a lot of time in his fine line like all these zombies are like naked tattooed and you always see their like shriveled little genitals um, and the weird thing is, is thank God, like for this podcast, I think is the only reason why I have any sort of theory or why I think that Shaolin Cowboy number four, like that, this is like the best comic ever published is entirely because <laughs> of this podcast, right? Because, because like two, three months ago, we, we Shaolin are Cowboy zombies. We are, we definitely are. Um, what when, Yes. No, I was going to say, it all, like, just hearing you describe it, and maybe mm -hmm. you describing it is very different from the act of reading. In fact, it obviously is. But right. um, my, I'm not like, wow, he's taking the piss as a reader, but it's like, he's taking the piss. Like, it all feels like a satire. Yeah. He's fighting naked zombies, mm -hmm. and then he's shot by a hipster. Feels like some sort of meta-commentary, rather than mm -hmm. he's taking the piss out of the fanboy. Right. Yeah, there's, well, so there's definitely a meta-commentary going on there. 
Um, so the thing is, is like, because, <laughs> so I sat down to read issue three before wait what, and I don't know if I ended up talking about it or not. And I picked it up and it's stupid me. I was like, wait, I don't remember what happened in issue two. I'm not sure if I read it. And so I read issues two and three back to back. And so that was like 40 pages at once of the same panel over and over again. Um, and so when I picked up issue four this time and I started reading it, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, hold on. I went and got, you know, issue three and read it and then read issue four. Weirdly enough, this is the only time I've picked up entire comics where I'm in mid saga and I'm like, oh, but for whatever reason, I really had this, like, I have to make sure that I'm up to date on this. All of which is to say, yeah, I, I, I should read all of this at once. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And frankly, I think if you read it, it as a done in one, you really get the genius of what he's doing, which is that I think I honestly genuinely think after reading Shaolin Cowboy number four, that Jeff Darrow is writing a book about transcendence, you know, like, you know how like you have the idea of over like the spiritual thing, you know, and you've always got the people who like, it, it usually involves doing some mon- mundane task over and over and over again until you hit enlightenment. Yeah. Right. This honestly is this weird thing where because of the amount of detail that Darrow puts into the panels like you're always aware, like unless I'm completely buffoon, you know, complete buffoon, and someone will point out to me where the little Photoshop layers f- came came together. He's drawing like the s- same panel over and over again in just slightly different iterations. To and at a certain point, halfway through issue four, I'm like, holy shit! It's like he's drawing this book over and over again, so the same panel, so that you feel what it's like to draw it. You know what I mean? Like you, you literally spend this, in other words, to spend the time that it, you, if you honestly sit down and read all 60 pages, you've put in about as much time as it took for him to draw one page for Jeff Darrow. So, and in, in the course of doing that, you go through this tremendous stages of like boredom and then fascination and then boredom again and then a little bit of anger and then this weird kind of like like just sort of contentment and then you start looking at details again and then you you're sort of thinking but there's no there's honestly because there's no dialogue in it there's nothing for you to really think about you know except the image that's right in front of you so you're looking at this weird variation of this image over and over again, enough times to where you actually have to pay attention to it. So Shaolin Cowboy is, uh, as far as I can tell, is a Buddhist character, you know, and the Buddhists basically believe that you achieve transcendence, not from uh, ignoring the world, you know, but basically by separating yourself from all desire from it. Mm-hmm. So there's no better parody, I think, for desire than a bunch of nude tattooed zombies. You know what I mean? Like they're literally empty slaves of the flesh. And Shaolin Cowboy 
beats them up in panel after panel after panel. And of course, they're always closing in and it's always these numbers in the way that you see the expression in the Shaolin Cowboy's face. He's always tightly concentrating. You know, if it were a Stan Lee comic book, which is something that we would, we'll talk about later, it would be the, I must concentrate every second or else if I drop my attention for one second, I am dead. But you just can tell he's always paying attention. He's always shown concentrating as he's like kicking someone's head off or like punching someone through someone's chest or whatever. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. So at the end of it, after he's beaten the very, and weirdly enough, I think the time where this, this really sunk in for me is that there's a shot where the Shaolin cowboy has kicked somebody's head off and the way that his angle is spinning you see the bottom of his shoe and he's wearing a sneaker, like a Converse sneaker. And Darrow has drawn, not in super huge detail, but has drawn the pattern on the bottom of the shoe, right? And you're just like, why would he, for me, I was like, why would you do that to yourself? You know what I mean? Like, why would you draw the panel? And there's another page actually where he cuts, it's the one page where it's, not these, well, maybe the one where he cuts the, the widescreen sequence into a series of short interconnected panels. Like it totally breaks up the rhythm of the page just for that one second. And then it goes back to it. And I feel like at each of those points, there's a, there's an idea of Darrow is forcing you to realize that he could be drawing anything that he wants. He is drawing this specifically to make you pay attention to the way that it's being drawn, I guess, and not just from a, oh, I'm showing you how pretty I can draw stuff. Like Darrow normally like puts his stuff in like these massive cityscapes with tons and tons of detail, or it shows someone pitching through a window and you see each particular bit of glass and you feel like, oh my God, this guy is really, it's so flashy. You know what I mean? Darrow's like this flashy guy with his brilliant technique, his just that micro granular style. And here he's applying it basically to this thing that he goes to such huge lengths to strip out every level. I mean, it's ridiculous amounts of detail. There's like a different tattoo on each one of these fucking zombies and it's huge, but it's, but all the zombies themselves are the same. And even the level of the tattoo for a certain point sort of starts to feel the same. So basically by the time you get to the end of the sequence, um, he, the Shaolin cowboy like kills the last zombie. And then he, he basically clasps his hand in prayer and he says something. And of course, like an idiot, I don't have the issue of the comic in front of me, but it, it, it's a, it's a word that basically means, um, all praise to Buddha. Right. So he has basically done all this, this whole nightmarish, tedious thing. And you can see it as a prayer of like, oh, hey, you know, the way Thor might be like, by the gods of Odin, I've survived. But I think, honestly, it's just the idea that he's accomplished this task, you know, and is grateful for it because it's this horrible, horrible, horrible thing. So he gets gunned down by a hipster, who basically says a bunch of snarky things about, yeah, that'll show you bro. And like everyone else is like, bro, you showed him bro, not to badmouth you or whatever. And the very last panel is uh, last page is a frog that pops onto um, a rock from where the Shaolin cowboy's body has fallen. 
and it just it croaks. And I believe that that is showing us that the Shaolin cowboy has reincarnated. You know that he, as a Buddhist, he achieved this level of purity, um, and then reincarnates at the end of it after being killed. So his, in a way, his death doesn't really mean anything. Um, although I don't know enough about the fact that his idea that he's reincarnated as a frog means that he is reincarnated in a lower level of existence or a higher level of existence. And, uh, but the thing that really struck me was this idea is at the end of it, I felt like I myself had gone through a spiritual process, you know, which was, seeing this thing over and over again and having to observe it until I felt like I knew just in the slightest, vaguest thing what it was to actually have done it, you know? Yeah. See, this sounds fascinating to me because you've made it sound great. Mm-hmm. You've, you've made it sound like a really uh, emotionally intense experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. In that you can move through the boredom and then the obsession and, and eventually come to some sort of... of of peace. But also part of me is like, then why did they do this as four individual issues? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not like, you know, all in one. Because right. the publication schedule of this was fairly ridiculous as well, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. This isn't like it was four monthly issues. Yeah, I I don't it was it was somewhat close. It might have been four bi monthly issues. I'm not I'm not sure. Three monthly and then the last one ran long. I mean it's also crazy that it came on the tail of this whole other storyline which you know was super dynamically intense and has him like you know, f- fighting in the belly of this horrible thing on top of a back of a, I don't know, shark crocodile monster apocalypse thing. I don't even, I honestly don't even remember. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all insane, but I think maybe Darrow just did it to did it, to do it. And then was just like, as pages got done, he's like, okay, okay, okay. And then, you know, kept working on this and this was the wrap up. I could be wrong because it reads so well the opposite way around where it basically is Darrow did a whole bunch of issues, got pissed at somebody or something and decided that he was, like you said, he's going to take the piss, you know? Um, and I don't know, like everything that is in that book is it, it's at such a level that I can't, like I can make this case for it. And I think it's, I honestly think it's a good case. I think if people read it, you can be like, yeah, I can see that in there, but I don't know if that's the thing that, it's supposed to be like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's definitely that elliptical. And so I totally understand, Uh, you know, a lot of people were like, what the fuck? Cause it really did feel like I'm going to make you sit through this complete tedious sequence and, and then drag it out so long. It feels like a joke and then drag it on even longer. So it feels like a bigger joke and then drag it on. So you'll be pissed off and then drag it on so that only I find it funny. And then when you finally bought all of those issues and you're ready for the story to keep going, that's when I'm going to end it. Like it kind of does feel like this crazy kind of like screw you, but I, but I also have this, but maybe it's both. Well, maybe it is. I mean, there, there is kind of that whole thing of, um, you know, the idea that you really can't tell the difference between a, a Zen Cohen and a bad joke, you know? Um, yeah. And also I, I find the idea that it's almost like you guys have terrible taste. I'm going to 
basically con you into enlightenment or con you into this experience. It's particularly attractive to me as well, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so I thought it was stupendous. I really did think that issues one through four, and considering I hated issues one and two, um, the fact that by the time I got the, to the end of four, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is genius. Like, it's seriously, I think it's, I seriously think it's fucking genius. Um, and I've been dying to talk about it for weeks because I'm too lazy <laughs> to write all that down. I was like, I should write it as an essay. And every time I started, I'm like, I sound like an asshole. I really need screen caps. I'm, ah. so thank you for allowing me to talk about it. Well, all. I hope you're going to have screen caps to accompany this. Oh, fuck no. Are you kidding, Graham? Well, maybe one or two. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, come on. Uh, that, that sounds fascinating. But, and I, here's the thing. I want to read it, but only as a collection. I don't, I, I can already tell that I wouldn't want to hunt down the individual issues. Yeah, I totally get it. Even though because you're in Portland, they probably have, there's, you probably hunting down would be nothing more than like. Hunting down would be going to Excalibur. I right. And looking at the yeah. racks. Exactly. I'm, I'm completely sure they have enough issues of all of them, but I totally get it because. No, I, w- I want to read it in one mm-hmm. sitting. Like, I don't even want to switch between the issues. Yeah, I think that, and I think that's a good idea because it, because I think that'll be, that might be the proof is in the pudding. It might be like that becomes even more explicit at that point or it, or else some other reading comes out as a result of it. So. Yeah, it's super curious. That, that's, that's kind of fascinating. Surely you haven't read nothing else that's as interesting. <laughs> I have to say that was the one where I was like the most obsessed and I had like the best theory. Um, apart from that, I'm like, yeah, the Fox one and two, huh? You know, that kind I don't of like stuff. The fox. You don't like the Fox? I, I half like the Fox. Honestly, every time the Fox, it, for those who don't know, Fox is being done by Red Circle, right? And it's it's the Archie superhero characters. It's being it's, re- Red Circle is Archie. You know that, right? Yes, I was, and I was going to get yeah, to that part. Okay. So it's the Archie superheroes. It's their superhero brand. It's Dean Haspiel and and Mark Wade. Uh, Haspiel is plotting and drawing, and Wade is dialoguing. And, um. So it's interesting. I realize bringing this up, I've kind of fucked myself because, uh, particularly when we get around to talking about the first 25 issues of the Avengers, but because I'm going to basically say that I find that the Fox is slapdash in a way that, that drives me nuts. You know, it's, and, and, and that shouldn't necessarily be that way, but it's like as much, it, you know, honestly, I've got a weird thing with Dean Haspiel is the thing. I just, I'm aware of it. It's like half of his style I really like. He's got a strong Kirby influence. He's got like his, oh, he's, you know. He's, yeah, and he's got a Toth influence as well. But it's also there's something very, he's very present as well. I think you have to buy into Haspiel as Haspiel. Right. As much as you, you have to buy into his influences. I think you have to be a fan of all of it in order for it to work. Yeah. And I think that's the problem of it is depending on where Haspiel's going. And when I looked at the Fox, I'm like, Oh, it looks like he's almost cranking up the Toth and the Kirby and even doing almost a Mike already and take on a superhero. And that maybe that'll push me over the edge and I'll totally dig it. But there's kind of, ah, uh, even with Wade, 
bringing a lot of help in in the form of dialogue to keep things seeming like they make sense. They don't make sense. And not in a way that I'm like, oh, this is like dreamy psychedelia. I'm like, it. there's something about Haspiel's stuff where it never quite feels disciplined enough for me. And honestly... Uh, that's, that's interesting. That's your definition of, of slapdash for this. I actually agree. Mm-hmm. I think the fox is something that you have to uh, very much buy into and forgive in order to enjoy. Right. Because I think there's a lot to forgive. Mm-hmm. I think you have to accept that it is going to be a flawed work right. because Haspiel seems to be very interested in what he's interested in mm-hmm. and that isn't doing a coherent story. Right. Right. So you have to basically be like, okay, so he's going to, and also his attention is going to visibly wander midway yeah. through the story. Right. He is going to, you're going to see him getting bored with his own story mm-hmm. and then taking a swerve and you have to basically just say, that's what he does. That's, that's what I'm into. Right. And it's different from, for example, when Kirby would do it in his 70s work. Because Kirby's guilty of exactly the same thing. Yes. But Kirby would do it in such a way that it was more entertaining. Yeah. That it was more, hey, and wait till you see what happens next. Right. Well, Whereas I feel Haspiel is more, uh, yeah, I'm going to draw something else. Yeah, I think that's it. Like, there's a weird way in which Kirby is like, after a certain point, is just a constant crush of ideas, I suppose. And Haspiel, I think the thing that there's times where some of his stuff feels less like ideas and more like doodles, I guess. And, and there are dudes whose work I have enjoyed that, that is, that are very similar to that, you know? And so I found myself very disappointed in myself for not liking the Fox. And yet I also was kind of like, Again, my issues with Haspiel were such that it's like, dude, you can't complain that people aren't taking you seriously if you're going to continue to do work that kind of shows that you yourself can't really – that you can only do so much. You know what I mean? Which is so, horrible. Yeah. I, I've got a question. Does Is it just me or does the fox feel like a really weird, bizarro daredevil to you as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, although I've, you know, and this is the problem because it's been over a month at least since I've read the characters. I forget, is he, isn't he like a photographer or? Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he's a photographer. Yeah, so there's, there's something about it where he's definitely from that, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a, there is a weird, like, my superpowers are kind of my curse kind of feel that kind of works with Daredevil. Well, it, it's, it's very, I, I think the Fox is very, if there was a genre called weird Marvel. Yeah. Then the Fox is very firmly in that. It's got all the Marvel tropes, but it's also got this very self-conscious, I'm wacky. Right. Well, e- even the I am wacky, which I enjoy enough, I guess, when it's, um, when it's somebody like, I guess, Mike Allred for the most part, uh, I, I find myself like, there's, there's like, it's wacky, and then there's also kind of the part where it doesn't, it just, it doesn't hang together. I don't know. So that's, that's kind of tough for me. I, um. That's, that's interesting. I, I find already uh, far more problematic, I guess. Than interesting. Happier. Interesting. Uh, because I find already far more slavish to the past. Mm. I think both are 
heavily influenced by what they grew up reading. Right. To be polite. Yeah. yeah. But I feel that Allred is very much of the, I must recreate it. And has hmm. feels of the, I will try and evoke it. Interesting. Could, I, I think that's, I think that's a, I think that's a good take. It certainly makes a lot of sense for me. Um, I, I, I'm super curious now. Did you read through the magic of people giving you things? The uh, Marvel, all new Marvel Now point one. Mm, I don't think so. When did that come Which out? Which has the oh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. if not longer, maybe okay. three weeks. Uh, it's got the first of the dance lot Mike Allred Silver Surfer series in it. Oh, then I definitely did not know. Yeah. Man, that series is going to be a mess, and I can already predict people on the internet are going to fall over themselves trying to praise it. Oh, really? It's There is nothing as much as Dan Slott has finally found a way to make his Doctor Who fanfiction pay. <laughs> and I can honestly already see people being like, this is amazing, there's not a comic like this around, it's it's stunning. Mm-hmm. I, I like I can see the praise already, and it's it's hilarious in its naked dance lot is really trying to make all of his Doctor Who love pay off for him. Right, right, yeah, huh? That sounds like something. It doesn't sound appealing to me. Like it's funny. As much as I evoke Allred, I have to say, usually in a favorable way, I have to say I've not followed Allred for. Probably a decade, which is ironic because he's, you know, because he's been with Marvel, I would have to say he's been working more consistently in the last four years than, you know, than he ever has. But I think apart from his issue, his issue of Solo was probably the last thing I enjoy of his that I read and the last thing I really enjoyed at the same time. So, mm-hmm. uh, I actually, that Silver Surfer thing, I saw it and had feelings not unlike, you know, Genuine horror at it. So <laughs> you don't want to see the Silver Surfer, surfer with a female companion introducing <laughs> her to the. I'm I'm not joking, Jeff. No, uh, introducing her to to the magic of the world and the universe at large, and also putting her in touch with her own humanity and landing on planets where they call him the Herald. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want to see that? I'm surprised. <laughs> Oh man! Oh man! Really? It's 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 as if he wrote a Doctor Who script and then was like, "Oh, Silver Surfer! I know. I'll just do find and replace Doctor to Herald." <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I, it's one of those things where I wish I was a little more up on my Silver Surfer stuff. That's something that I've got tucked away on on DVD that I've sort of been meaning to read because I do remember that first issue with the Steve Englehart Marshall Rogers reboot where it's like they freed him from Earth and put him back in space again, and you realized it was really a fucking relief to get the Silver Surfer off that whole, oh, woe is me, the world is terrible, you know, humans, what is wrong with them, what fools these mortal be, hand-wringing bullshit, like, it was a relief. Um, and yet there's also this weird context where 
I, I don't, I don't know if it, how long it works for. You know what I mean? Like I sort of, like a lot of people are like, I'll have to read that whole Englehart run. But there is even a way where once he's like, phew, I feel, what a relief. I'm finally, look at me. I'm happy. I'm in space. I should start dating a 12 year old or whatever that you're just like, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if the character is supposed to go there, you know? So. Well, you should definitely read the rest of the Englehart run because this whole, I am so relieved lasts maybe three pages. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, and then he got let it. He gets totally into like Engelhartian angst really, mm-hmm. really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it's it's uh, well, he goes back to see Shalabal, and Shalabal's like, "What the fuck are you doing here? Right. Oh crap! Just fucking leave." <laughs> and then the Mantis, and then he, like, there's another Kree Skrull war in there as well. Right. Right. And so, like, very quickly, when oh, he he starts having fights with the Guardians of the not the Guardians, what are they called? The, the immortals of the universe? What are they called? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the... Oh, shit. No. I know who you're... The, the, the guys who have all the soul gems and shit. Yes, the uh, masters of... What, what are they're, they? Uh, they're the uh, elders. The elders of the, the universe. Elders. Yeah. Yes, the elders. Yeah, he has fights with the elders of the universe because mm-hmm. they were like, as, you know, with every Steve Englehart run, this mortal is not uh, the magical power being we think he should be. And he then has to, you know, sort them out and prove that he is and then have sexual thoughts about someone that he shouldn't oh man oh steve englehart <laughs> i'm like yeah i should be reading Never that stuff change, immediately but yeah. at the same time <laughs> maybe change um so speaking of never change i should mention very quickly i read the star trek strange new worlds uh burn photo novel did you see that oh, like on the stands I, I i saw it and i was really tempted to buy it and then a voice in my head went it's a fucking photo novel. <laughs> why? Why would you pay the six dollars for this photo novel? Or Five dollars, yeah. whatever yeah. it was. Yep. Well, so here's the sad fact of the matter: is besides the fact that you did pay the five dollars, is is that when I was a kid, like they had they had a feature in the back talking about the photo novels. They were a flop. Everyone hated them. Um, <laughs> Bet you feel great for buying this. Well, because they were like, because it was one of those things. It was actually a pretty good article that pointed out. Because the thing that I thought was really interesting is they pointed out the the real reason why the photo novel was a flop, and it's a fascinating idea. Is is that it was that they came out in like 1978, basically the year that that the Betamax and the video, the VCR started to to actually hit the United States market. At the article in the back of it that talks about the talks about the piece, which I think makes a lot of sense to me, um, said that before that time, if you were if you wanted to collect your show, you know, there was no real way to like everyone had different ways of doing it. You oh know? yeah, yeah, like you you do like audio recordings off the television, which I or, did for yeah a huge chunk of. The, did you really? Oh, that's amazing. I, I, there is uh, – that's not true. There was. I remember finding when I was a teenager an audio recording I made of a Doctor Who episode. And it was the Doctor Who episode where Adric dies. And at the end, there was no theme music. Uh-huh. But you can hear me going, is Adric dead? <laughs> <laughs> and I must have been like five. Oh, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. See, the problem is, due to our age differences, that's perfectly acceptable behavior in a five-year-old. Plus, it's Doctor Who. I was recording episodes of The Incredible Hulk. And so... <laughs> that, that was a wonderfully 
non-visual show, Jeff. I think I, that's, that's, that's uh, audio not just non-visual. It was yeah, half it was the, half the audio recording. Just It's hilarious that I recorded like eleven of those fucking things. <laughs> So it, oh man! So it makes a lot of sense to me that that these guys were basically saying like the idea behind the photo novel would be it would be a way to recapture your favorite episodes with the visuals and the dialogue, you know, and it made sense. But and of course, as a kid, we had like we bought all of them, and I loved them. And then they, you know, there was there weren't that many of them. I and I don't think we had them all, but we had we had. A greater than one number of them. <laughs> so. I had a Galactica one. Oh yeah, right. When I when I was at, like whenever I was going to see the film, but it wasn't a film for you guys in the UK. Battlestar Galactica was released in, in the theaters. Right. The it, pilot. It was and both then, for us. And then they re-edited two episodes of the TV show for a sequel. Yes. Called Mission Galactica. Yeah. And I definitely, I had the photo novel of Mission Galactica. Oh, wow. Really? I don't think I ever saw that. I do remember when she said it, I'm like, oh, right, the photo novel of Battlestar Galactica. Pretty sure I saw that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- so those things had their appeal because, of course, they're also like they're comics. So, you know, you're all over them. So the fact that Byrne wanted to do one of these, I was like, that's kind of fucking great, you know? And like, so like that whole thing of you're like, am like, why would I be paying $6 for a photo novel? My mistake was I ignored the little voice in my head of like, wait, why are you paying $6 for John Byrne? You you totally had the, the nostalgia of, holy shit, it's a photo novel. Yeah. And it it was like, I love those. Exactly. And I knew it was coming and, and it sounded like a great idea. I was like, God help me. That's such a stupid idea. I would love to get it. And then I got it and oh, fucking man, son of a bitch. It's... Really? Here's the sad thing. I actually read some of the John Byrne Star Trek comic comics. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like them. He's very John Byrne in them. Yes. Like, it's very much like, here's a continuity error. I will explain. Totally. Which, which like, you really don't need to do with Star Trek, for the love of fucking God. It's right. Star Trek. It's a riddles with the fuckers. Yeah. But, um... But I, I kind of enjoyed them. Like, he did a, a Bones miniseries that I really enjoyed. I actually wanted to read that. And I remember thinking, and I might have might have picked, flipped through the first issue or I came across... How did I end up reading the first issue of that? Maybe it was a freebie? I don't know. I read the first issue. And I was like, this could be entirely worse. I could see myself picking this up. And he, ha- he has... Byrne has a love of those characters and he has a good ear. And part of the charm of the photo novel is for them. He is a good, how do I put it? John Byrne's capacity to convey emotion and the cast of Star Trek's ability to convey emotion are perfectly aligned, you know? (laughs) So, wow. That's a backhanded compliment in both directions. I know, exactly. But I was, I was like, son of, you know, the dialogue where Kirk is saying, like, you know, Mister, that's an order, and they've, he's got the right face for it. He's, and you know, and Spock's little. In fact, the 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 final joke doesn't land, but you see the setup. Like he clearly watched so many Star Trek episodes. He's like, I can do this, and. It's interesting to see whether or not part of the problem with the photo novel format for him is that basically 
everything's fine except when you come to conflict. You know, because he's well aware that you've got to have an issue. You know, it's an episode of Star Trek. If you know, Kirk's got to punch someone or get knocked around. Oh yeah, there's yeah, there, there's got to be a fight. Yeah, there's got to be the moment where you can imagine the Alexander Courage, the like, bah, 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 exactly. Like, you know, staged fight. Yeah, always. Yeah, and there's not much of that. And in fact, more of what also. So the gist of the gist of the Strange New Worlds photo novel is it's a sequel to. Where no man has gone before, I guess the the episode where Gary Mitchell gets his godlike powers, and so basically the Enterprise goes back to the planet where Gary Mitchell has died because I forget if there's like a strange signal or there's a distress thing or it's you know it's Star Trek reason number thirty eight. But they're back up on there, and then the next thing they know, they're thrown back into these flashbacks, which are the times. I guess it's this classic, like, oh, sure, if you've seen this episode as many times as John Byrne has, you know that Gary Mitchell kept talking about these things that he and Jim Kirk did together when they were best friends, sort of. And so you see those missions play out. But, you know, but people are confused and are actually dying. But, of course, Kirk and Spock are on top of it and are aware of the fact that they have to play out through these scenarios because what's – Behind them is Gary Mitchell in the by having his body die, his spirit has essentially taken over the planet and is pissed at Jim Kirk and wants vengeance for killing him. All well and good, except for the fact that when it comes time to kind of have that happen, nothing really happens, and then it just goes on and on and on and on and on, and eventually. Kirk goes like, "Don't you see, Gary? If you wanted to do this to me, you would have done it already. You're not. You're not ready to kill me. You're just, you know, you haven't let go, and you need to move on, kind of thing. So it's like a vaguely spiritual Star Trek episode, but it's like this weird continuity porn of the most boring. Like it's honestly, like you know, like it's it's very." It's where you realize that someone's fetish is way deeper and therefore way more dull and mundane. Wow. There, there's something happening downstairs. There is really something happening downstairs. Uh, it's, it's like watching a film, uh, a, a fetish film where a woman takes off a shoe for three and a half hours. You know, just <laughs> takes off the shoe, puts it back on, takes it back off again in close up, puts it back on. It was kind of it was kind of unbearable, and the great part is at the end, Burns like this was great. I'm really hoping to do more of these. <laughs> like, God, no, please don't let him. You know, like I don't know. Maybe it will because it's six bucks. How many idiots like me do they really have to sell it to before they're like, hey, profit? You know, so you know. Plus, Burn Burn doesn't get paid up front, so I think I think maybe they're already planning another one. God help me. Yeah, I, the whole burn doesn't get paid up front thing still fascinates me. Yeah, isn't it great? I mean, it's really it, interesting it, to me. Yeah, it's like, like huh. In, in a weird way, it makes me feel kind of sorry for John Byrne. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you're, like you're that desperate for someone to publish your comics that you'll be like, no, no, you don't need to pay me. I mean, that's... Well, you don't need I to don't pay know. me up front. I mean, I'm sure there's a level at which, you know... He must I, see some money. Yeah, he must see some money. And, you know, it might be a low wage. It might be a big wage. There's a there's a way in which, you know, it's 
it could pay off huge for him. I'm sure he's thinking like, yeah, this way, if it sells over a certain amount, I get a huge amount. But I don't know. I kind of – part of me – on the one hand, part of me appreciates the fact that Burns like, hey, I know I'm not to everyone's taste. You don't lose anything up front. If nobody's going to buy this, then – you know, you're only out a certain amount of things and I'll go away, you know, kind of concept to it. Also, having followed um, John Byrne speaks on Twitter long enough, I know that Byrne is still commanding thousands of dollars for commissions, you know, like as of, I think, one or two years ago, he's you have to pay him as much as five thousand bucks. I mean, he'll sit or he John Byrne will actually draw a comic book with you in it. He will write it, plot it, draw you, make you the hero, and you can be sleeping with Scarlet Witch on the last page of the book. But it's like thirty five thousand dollars to do it. You know, it's not like someone is going to be like, well, that's a bargain. Well, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm honestly thinking. I think that Byrne is honestly like, he's like, I think it's a little bit of like, I don't necessarily need the money. I'm doing this because I want to do this. I think the thing for me that's kind of sad is, is that Byrne is, you know, and sad, like, hey, it's what works for him, you know, so I guess it really isn't sad, but, it, you know, because he's basically the world's best paid hobbyist at this point but there is a little bit where i'm like so your biggest artistic endeavor at this point is a star trek photo novel you know like if if you well you, you can't say self would be easy for him to keep doing fantastic four or shall we say triple helix all the time right but right. photo novels that you know i'm not seeing joe madura doing that anytime soon Right. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I think that that Doomsday plus one or whatever thing that he did that was like a, you know, space disaster movie, you know, for, broken into a four issue miniseries or whatever. It was a little too pricey for my blood as IDW books were. But I looked at it and I'm like, it's not my cup of tea, but it's probably works for someone. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a way in which the Joe McCulloch of the late 21st century will be writing, you know, beaming articles from the comics journal CerebroNet into people's brains talking about how amazing and weird and funky this stuff is, you know? Oh my god, it's so much of that sentence made me so happy. Uh, I have to say, I, I made the, the shall we say, mistake, I think we shall, of thinking, <laughs> hey, John Burns Next Men, that's probably an, you know, an, un, a forgotten work of <laughs> masterpiece, right? When ITW started reissuing it. Right. And that was, that was, I remember, I was still living in San Francisco at the time, oh, I remember wow. uh, Hibbs more or less was like, okay, you can buy it, but maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> Just because you can like, like, doesn't like the, mean like you the should. Phone book. The, remember they put out like the black and white phone books? That was like first god, ten, twelve issues, something like that, maybe right. more. I like I bought it and, and Hibbs was just like he was doing everything he can to be like, don't buy it. <laughs> it's very much like that's a brave choice. I mean it was hilarious. And I was like, you like you're wrong. Right. You're wrong. You don't get it. And then I read it and I was like, he was right. <laughs> he got it. <laughs> he, he, he got it so well. That was a terrible, terrible comic. 
always love it when uh, store owners are like, is that what you're buying? The last time that happened was uh, in Excalibur. Mm-hmm. They had one of their 50% off sales. Oh, yeah. And I got like a chunk of Milestone Shadow Cabinet. Oh, wow. And it's been wrong off for the first time. The guys are honestly looks at like me getting, I get like 16 issues, right? Because right. they're, they're at that point 50 cents each or something. So right. it's nothing, mm-hmm. right? And the person's just like, huh, so you really want to read Shadow Cabinet, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's tough, man. I got to tell you, it's tough behind the counter because you really do. Like, Hibs used to get all kinds of shit where people. Like after he'd write a bad review on on at Savage Critic, a, a review that was not favorable, I should say, on Savage Critic, people would be like, "Well, I don't understand why he's trying to drive away customers," you know. And he was like, "I'm not. I've always kept this separate." And it's true. Hibbs normally never says "boo," you know. So I think that for the most part, it really is so much the exception rather than the rule when any retailer is like, "Oh." I... Oh, no. Hibbs was telling me because, A, he knew me. Yes. He, he knew my tastes. Like, yes. it was most friendly. You yeah. were making a hideous mistake. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. And normally when you don't know anyone or whatever, it's just kind of a thing. You know, it's a general rule of thumb that's, that, you know, pushing people towards stuff they will like is is, is better. But but tolerating yeah. whatever they're going to pick up, you know. Did yeah, I, I, just, I just thought it was hilarious. Did I tell you about that story when I was in the comic book store in New York uh, with the with the guy who was like slobbering over Wolverine number one? Did, did I tell you this? No. Okay. So this is a story which I thought perfectly encapsulated a, a certain level of the torture that is retail because – I was in this comic store. It was late at night, and these back issues. It was had a, it was one of those comic stores that had a huge back issue selection, and the mm-hmm. prices. Just looking at the prices was like getting punched in the nuts, you know. And it makes sense. It's New York real estate. Like you're, you've got to make your nuts somehow. And so you know, it's like so you you've got this thing of like okay, you've got this issue of like brave and the bold that somebody's looking for in the moment in the store and it's priced at like $61 when you know that like on eBay it's like 4 bucks. So I just fucked up my own story basically because what happened was there was a copy of Wolverine number 1 by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller on the wall priced for $80. And holy shit. Yes. I mean- I, I don't know the state of the vacation market, but eighty dollars seems expensive. Jeff. Oh, it, by like by it's like ten by times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's ten times more expensive. I think if you go on eBay, you can probably find like a good quality copy for like eight bucks. Because because again, it's eBay and the miracle of commerce and all that sort of stuff. Now it might be one of those things where the guy's like, oh yeah, it's only eight bucks, and then you've got to figure out. Like, unless you buy six other items, the shipping is going to make you, you know, feel like you paid twice that or whatever. But, but it's like 
$80. And they had, which was great, they had this guy, this young guy who worked the back issue section of the store because that's completely different from the front section of the store where there was, you know, the retailer and the new stuff, right, and the toys and things. This is the back issue section. So there's a guy there with a computer. So there's this guy who's another um, shopper in the store next to me who's like, oh, Wolverine number one, 80 bucks. And, And he actually says to the guy, is that a good price? And the guy who clearly has made a deep commitment to keep his soul from going to hell is not going to lie to this guy, but neither can he tell him the truth, which is no. So he says in classic dodge the bullet fashion, that's what it says. You know, it's like, that's the price. Yeah. And the guy's like, so do you have the other issues of that? Is that worth more? You know, if you've got all the issues and the guy's like, it really depends, you know, cause you can, you, he, what he's trying not to say, he's trying not to lie and go, yes, absolutely. That's a great price. And if you get the other, cause, cause they had, Issue one and they had issue three and issue three was $50, which is crazy. That's like absolutely insane, you know? And the guy, the guy, so the the guy's like, well, is that, you know, the guy's basically saying, so this is a good deal, right? And it really reminds me of that classic, like, you know how in con man movies, there's always that scene of like, hey, we never cheat an innocent person. You know, the Mark always fools himself, you know, this was really it in action because this guy was like, oh, 80 bucks, huh? Is that a good, is that a good price? Like, is it worth more? What if I get all of them? If I get all of them, can I turn around and flip it for like $600? You know, and, and the guy, the guy behind the counter is clearly not going, can't really argue him out of it, but in the interest of preserving his own eternal soul, can't actually lie either. So he's just making statements like, that's, it definitely says something like that. You're right. It could happen. You know, like, I I just, I don't know. So, anyway, God bless those people who actually, like, some people complain about this, like, you know, retailers, even other customers, like, honestly, people, when a retailer tries to make sure that you don't get anything, it's just because they've had a moment of pity on you. And don't be angry at them for that. <laughs> You know, how, how bad could it be? The answer, very bad. Yeah. In the case of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, it's very bad. Um, but hey, Godland finale was great. Uh, oh, I meant to ask, to completely interrupt. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the, the Casey Captain Victory news? I just saw Joe Casey in a, near the words Captain Victory, so I tried not to look. What is he, what's he doing? Is he re-dialoguing them or what's happening? No, it's a whole new series. I am I am super excited about this. Are you? Yeah, it's hang on, I'm looking for the brush release again. It yeah. is. Joe Casey is relaunching Captain Victory in the Galactic uh uh what are they call the Galactic um, Warriors? I wanna say Warriors, but maybe not. Galactic Rangers, sorry. There we go. Okay. Here is his art team for the book. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Farrell Farrell Dalrymple, Ulysses Farnas, Michael Fife. Nathan Fox, Jim Mafood, Benjamin Mara, Jim Rugg, and Connor Williamson. Yeah, see, he's, uh, this is the thing about Joe Casey. I will, I begrudge that man 
many things, but he has but exquisite taste in artists. Yeah. That art team's fucking amazing. That team is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I need to read Captain, I need to pick up the original Captain Victories. Um, cause I know you read them and really liked them, right? Didn't you pick them up recently? Yeah. yeah. So, after, and it's, I, I, it's something I'd stayed away from. I had this completely irrational, uh, you know, Kirby peaked with New Gods and it was all downhill from there. Right. And I think there's something to that. Sure. In but, one way, yeah. But there's also, like, Captain Victory was so much better than I expected it to be. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, for me, so much better than Silver Star. Right. And Silver Star, um, there's enough weird stuff in there, like enough really weird shit that that even while I'm like, oh yeah, it's definitely inferior Kirby, I still loved it. So I'm like, so why am I holding off? I should get the Captain Victories, I should get the Destroyer Ducks, you know, and just and just kind of be there at that stuff. So anyway. The, the, the first few issues of Captain Victory in particular are like prime Kirby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. So yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely say, you know, recommend. But that's partially that and the art team are partially why i'm like you know this new captain victory series how bad could it really be right right because the the potential is all there the potential is all there yeah and and i have to say after reading the godland finale that is the first thing since maybe an issue of cable the joke where i actually really like joe casey's writing where I was like, oh, Joe Casey's actually really, he's really bringing it, you know, in a way that I always kind of, you know, had I thought it could be with. wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I was, I was iffy about the, the, the very poss- possibility of something being delivered. <laughs> um, so what else have you read, Grandpa? Or should we move into our our main course since we only have? About I, I think half we should move into our main course. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what else have I read? Very quickly, I yep. uh, was sent a comp of the first Constantine collection. Oh, interesting. Uh, and find myself liking it much more than I expected. Hmm. And I, I read the first couple of single issues and was oh. like, eh, this is not that good. Right. And as a collected edition, I found myself much more uh, positive towards it. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. It was part of it is also uh, DC recently sent me the comp of the um, second or well, the second collection of Jeff Lemire Justice League Dark issues. Uh-huh. And I have to say that Lemire's Justice League Dark, and particularly his Justice League Dark, mm-hmm. uh, is for me as good as you're ever going to get out of a superhero, super uh, supernatural superhero team at DC. Really? Wow. I really, really, really like. So that would be volume two and three of Justice League Dark, hmm. um, which are called The Books of Magic and The Death of Magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think are, are surprisingly strong. Surprisingly in part because the Milligan issues are so horrendously bad. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, he, he basically treats it very straightforward. There's mm-hmm. no meta commentary, which I think is where Milligan fell down. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, the, the Lemire issues are, are really, really strong. I know this is, and I apologize because this is literally the last thing that you were trying to convey in all of that. But what was the meta stuff going on with Milligan? Uh, I think Milligan was very aware that he was doing a superhero title with people who weren't superheroes. Mm-hmm. 
And so had a certain sense of, I have to point out that they know the tropes Mm -hmm. and simultaneously uh, go through the motions of the tropes with characters who are too smart and therefore they will will comment on them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Right. Uh, And so there's a lot of, we'll never be a team, says everyone while being a team. (laughs) Or, this is impossible. You know, and it's, it's, it wasn't, at no point was it like, you see, I'm in on the joke as much as I'm just pointing out all the flaws with this story. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, the second collection starts off with Milligan's last two issues, which is a crossover with uh, the Vampire series, I Vampire. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just horrible for mm. that very reason. Like, it's Milligan being like, uh, you know what? I, I'm i being ridiculously meta. Mm-hmm. Like, his last issue is has... Uh, I want to say Shade and Madame Xanadu having a conversation about our time is at an end, but it doesn't mean that what we did was worthless, even if nobody liked it. (laughs) You know, and it's like, this is nuts! (laughs) Dear Peter Milligan, wrong! (laughs) But not even wrong, it's just, you know, dear Peter Milligan, some of this could be subtext. Right. You know, right. Right. stop making all of this text. Yeah, why does it have you're, to you're be all text? You're not making it entertaining for anyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it was very, very strange. But no, the, the Lemire issues I really liked. And maybe because I've just recently reread those, mm-hmm. I found Constantine much less offensive than I had the first time around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it'd be interesting. I don't know, you know. Weirdly, it's a shame... It's one of those things that maybe if the library gets, I'd like to check it out, frankly, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I, it's, it's just come out, so, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure the library will get it. Yeah, sooner or later. Or It's kind of a shame. It's just, it's, yeah. It, it's it's one of those, like, yeah, I'd love to, I don't know. The, unfortunately, those days of, like, huh, might not suck. I'll go spend money on that, like, is just sort of. Well, that's just it. Like, I, I would, I would feel very bad for being like, you know what you should do, Jeff? Spend $20 in this collection. Because what I really am thinking is, you know what you should do? Wait until it's a comicsology sale and they're 99 cents each. Right, right. Yeah. You know? $6 is much better than spending $20 on it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. So true. Um, I should mention, by the way, actually, because uh, um, this is something that... I don't think that I actually, that we talked about last time we talked, which is that, um, Matt Turrell, who's a listener of the podcast, uh, ha- took advantage of a buy one, get one offer for Marvel Unlimited back in December. Um, and he bought himself a month subscription to Marvel Unlimited, the, the digital collection service that they have. And, uh, Gifted me with that one month of um, a, a, a subscription, free subscription went to me. So I actually had a month of Marvel Unlimited. And for a dude whose poor Graham had to put up with, um, for a guy who was boycotting Marvel, I really liked it a lot. And in fact, the the it's actually genuinely expired yesterday which was weird because it honestly for the 20 like it was supposed to expire on the 21st and on the 22nd i still had 
access and I'm like, huh, I wonder if they're not like going to bill me or whatever. But it was gone today when I went in to check. And one of the things that I found interesting, I'll try and speed this up, is for me, because um, I was like, man, I would, you know, to the extent that I'm still buying DC, I'm like, I wish DC had a service like this. Like, I don't know, like, I would have to figure out a way to give my money to a comic book store because it's not really about the money. But having access to that many comics so easily and so now that I'm trying to live that sort of shelfless existence, um, it was so goddamn convenient. Did you see, did you see the, um, that Peter Bag cartoon from like the first of the month about like the end of stuff or something like that? The end of the age of stuff? I, I did not, no. Oh man, I will have to put a link into the podcast. It's like a five page strip that he does for, is it Reason Magazine or whoever he's yeah, drawing yeah. for? And yeah. it is great because it is literally about him trying to get rid of his stuff as fast as possible after a lifetime of accumulating it and nobody wants it because everyone's getting rid of their stuff as quickly as possible too because they don't <laughs> want it and everyone is like just it's consuming the Jeff Lester story it is so the Jeff Lester story it was terrifying and it's and it's great because it really and it really is this like Peter Baggs like hey we're all fu- I'm doing this but I'm fucking everybody by doing it like we're just screwed you know because he literally has a thing of like like, hey, you know, sorry, video stores, sorry, record stores, sorry, bookstores, you know, it's because they're buying everything digitally. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's like now with Amazon, we can actually order our groceries. And he's gotten a little caption at the bottom. Sorry, grocery stores. And then the next page of it, which is brilliant, is actually him trying to find work and him being offered smaller and smaller page rates because of course nobody's buying anything anymore. Like his sales have gone down so much. It's an incredibly depressing story about how all this stuff is contracting so quickly. But I was like, Oh my God, I've got to show this to Edie because this is kind of, it's this horrible feeling of like, I'm like, God, this is my life. And it's right in the middle of everyone else's life changing at the same time to the same aspect. So, oh, Jeff, you're you're singing my song with that part of that. Oh, really? Uh, I've I've been thinking a lot about the uh, the ways in which the move to the digital economy mm-hmm. has entirely devalued creative work. Yes, because we're just we're so used to more and more and more and more and more content. Yeah, uh, but people just want to pay less and less and less and less. Yes, so you, you have this growing hunger and but in the middle of this you also have people being like well content isn't worth anything right right yeah and it's like but if that's the case why do you want it all the time and b what are you going to do when the people who produce it have gone you know well that's just it it's going to turn everyone into a fan creator it's going to turn everyone into a a, an amateur whatever yeah uh, and the horrifying thing is, I think the majority will be okay with that. Right. Because I think the quality of these things is less important than the existence of these things. Right. For people. Right. It's not so much they want to read something good, they just want to read something. It's yeah. not so much they want to listen to something good, they just want to listen to something. Yeah. Exactly. It's the, it's the, 
I'm sure this is something I've thrown out in the podcast before, but the, remember when I've talked about the, the age of the good enough, you know? Yeah. It's the, the good enough camera and the good enough TV and the good enough, like, this is kind of the stage that we're at too, where it's getting to, it's the last little creeping edge of the, of the zone, which is, it's good enough content, you know? And the only thing that really makes a difference for it, I feel, is people's, either your, is, is the extent to which sharing it or talking about it matters to you. You know what I mean? Like that idea yeah. of like, oh, I've got to go out and see the best picture movies so that I can talk about them with other people. You know, there's a, a wonderful essay that just was posted online today. At, uh, God, Reddit, perhaps it's it's no, it's a dig mm-hmm. uh, of all mm-hmm. places about the uh, viral or lack of viral, more importantly, um, value of audio versus mm. video mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and shareability. And it, yeah, you should definitely read it, Jeff. It, it, it touches on that, definitely. Mm-hmm. The idea yeah. that something has to be shared to be valuable. Right. So, I mean, uh, part of me is like, again, as a dude who like self-published, there's a way in which I'm like, no, these are these are good things. But... But there's also the way in which I'm like, well, there's the possibility for good things. Because, of course, you know, Erotic Vampire Bank Heist has not been exactly burning up the charts. And that might be that it's not good enough or it hasn't connected with his audience. But it may just also be there's just so much stuff. Like the signal-to-noise ratio is so insanely fucked at this point that the only things that can break through that are like – Things that have already broken through that. So it's like, oh, hey, the Hunger Games? Well, now here's Hunger Games, the movie that everyone has to see. You know, and if it's good enough, thank God there's another Hunger Games movie coming, you know. But after that, the idea of the amount of time and effort and energy that it takes to sort of break through the literal entropy of everything having the same weight, kind of, um, it's, it's, it's really, there's, it's alarming in terms of what it would be, what it's doing to quote unquote the creative middle class. But, um, but I don't honestly know where it's going to end in a way, right? So, so all of which is to say, that being said, I really adored my time on the Marvel Comics Unlimited, uh, thing. It's going to be kind of a pain in the ass to not re-up because honestly for 60 bucks, uh, for an annual subscription or seventy bucks, um, it's well. We we talked value. about this off yes. off mic. We talked talked about this in email. Yeah, could like is this is this the killer app that could get you to break your boycott? You know, honestly, it's interesting. I really thought two days ago I would have said that it was, and now I'm like, it's not. It's not. It's going to be fine. You know. Because, um, I don't know, you know, I think because on the one hand, there's so much, there's so much new stuff coming out, I suppose. I mean, the thing that's weird is for somebody who's like caught right in the middle, um, uh, like me, Marvel Unlimited was amazing because they put out all of their new stuff like three months behind or honestly because of the double shipping schedules i can't tell if it's three months behind or six months behind because in some cases it's something like 12 issues or something you know but that doesn't necessarily you know what i mean like 
I can't. Yeah, exactly. Who, who knows how long that is these days? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not paying attention. But but for me, it was like holy shit. So I can read the first ten issues of Jason Aaron's Thor. That's a pretty good chunk of reading, and I can sort of do that. And as I'm catching up on each one, new issues are coming out. So it's the opposite in a way. It only it's almost impossible to to have that. Like you can't join in any of the current reindeer games and talk with people about about what's going on or what they're doing or what the latest swerve is. But in terms of like after people have talked about it, you can read through a bunch of it and be like, huh, kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, at first I was like, oh my god, that's that's going to be the death of me. This is I'm going to have to get this, and because I read like eight issues. Actually, I read the first eight issues of the power of warlock. And then I read the, the Hulk crossover issues. And then I read Jim Starlin's, uh, warlock. And this is great. One of the things that's hilarious is so like Jim Starlin comes in, they've got his, uh, you know, it's this, uh, warlock versus the mages. And as I was reading it, I'm like, there's no way that they're going to have the issue where Jim Starlin that, you know, you might recall Sean Howe talking about from Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, where Jim Starlin basically angrily denounces uh, Marvel Comics as a bunch of clowns maintaining a tower of shit, you know? I'm like, there's no way they're going to have that on the Marvel Comics Unlimited app. Of course they are. But they did. They absolutely did. But you know what they did not have? They did not have the final issue of the Warlock Magus Showdown. (laughs) It's actually, they're like, it's like Warlock 8, 9, 10. That's the final issue of him and the Magus. And then that's gone. And then it's 12, 13, 14, 15. And I'm like, you sons of bitches. Like, I don't know if that was an accident or on purpose. If that's a, uh, hey, you guys, you should definitely, you know, just buy the book. That's hilarious. It yeah. gets you all the way, and then it's like, no, nah, maybe not. Yeah, that final issue, it's been building to for, you know, four issues, and which at this, you know, because it was done bi-monthly, it's like, you know, half of a year of Jim Starlin working his ass off. It's like, nope, gone. Good luck getting that. Um, so I, all of which is to say, yeah, I spent a lot of time being like, oh my God, this is going to be it. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get this. And then the combo of realizing that even digitally, I have more comics to read than I probably know what to do with as of now, you know, is kind of that thing of like, yeah, I don't need to, I'm trying to, now that I've cut back on actual real world hoarding, maybe shelfless hoarding is probably a smart idea. I don't know. So, so yes. Well, okay. So to get back from this onto what we were just about to talk about, the Avengers thing. Yes. I've, I've been reading through, like like you, I read the first 25 issues of Avengers. Yes. Like you, I have the DVD that was put out a few years ago of like the first, what is it, 500 issues of the Avengers or something? <laughs> At least. Yeah. Um, I've had that DVD for years. Right. Like I, I got that DVD in San Francisco, so I've had the DVD for at least five years. Yeah. There are so many things that I still haven't read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it really is easy to digitally hoard. Yeah. It's super easy. All the more so because it doesn't take you up any space. Yeah. yeah. And then that's the other thing. It's super easy to forget about them. So there's a little bit of the one way that the, the Marvel Unlimited thing was kind of attractive was as long as it was an app on my iPad and I'm at the stage now where I look at my iPad every day, 
as long as it was on my front screen, I would open it up and I would start looking at it. And it's the same thing while reading these Avengers. Is like part of the reason when you and I had talked about the idea of reading the first 300 issues of Avengers was part of me was like, I think it would be like, I'm not sure I'll ever get into reading them without it, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, part of it is finally, I finally have enough of a setup the other day, like, cause what happened was they had the, um, they had the power of warlock issues and then they had one issue of the Hulk resolution of that, of that series. Um, but it was like actually three issues, like issue, I think 176, 177 and 178. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the ones where, uh, Hulk goes to counter earth and the man wolf is there as Satan. Is that the- close? Close. Oh my god. I, I have to say, I love the power of Warlock because of the whole crazy Jesus Christ superstar. Like, I love the, I love the fact that Marvel was so insane. They were like, yeah, Christ exploitation. You know? Like, we can do the yeah, exactly. hippie Christ exploitation. We, we, can, we can totally do Warlock as, like, Jesus, right? No one's going to notice. Well, see, that's the thing that's great, is, like, we weren't even going to be subtle before, but we're going to show him, like, followed by, like, hippie kids. Like, there really was, like, I think Roy Thomas was a genius by looking at, like, Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar and being like, you know what? This could be a big thing. We should get something that's on it. And honestly, the the two issues of Marvel premiere that he writes, the first issue of the power of warlock that he writes are all pretty good. Like there is a way in which a lot of people are like, eh, Roy Thomas kind of crap. He is great compared to, they bring in cause after him is Mike Friedrich, you know, uh, our buddy from the JLA who comes in. Mike Friedrich. Yeah. Mike Friedrich, who did not know subtlety. If someone, threw subtlety in his face and then said that's subtlety for seven years <laughs> my Friedrich and subtlety have never ever ever been in the same continent that's right because that whole scenario that you described was too subtle for Mike Friedrich to actually learn so yeah it's it's amazing so it falls to shit I mean it gets really bad and there's the like the first couple of issues are so good and then the rest of it so bad anyway Marvel Unlimited, being Marvel Unlimited, only had one of the three issues where Hulk's on Counter-Earth. Um, so the Man-Beast, uh, who is the incarnation, like, uh, is one of the the high evolutionaries, Anning-Men, who's the shape of a wolf and is everything that is bad and evil, who basically creates sin on Counter-Earth during the, the, whatever it is, the seventh day when, or the seventh hour while the high evolutionary is sleeping, of course. Um, the high evolutionary sense is only begotten, you know, begotten, adopted, you know, half human caterpillar son to counter earth to save everyone. And it's, I fucking loved it. I'm like, un- again, until Friedrich comes in. And then I'm like, okay, but I'll have to read the rest of this stuff. They only had issue 177, and I'm like, ah, what a shame. And I realized I've got that Hulk DVD. So I actually, that's the first time where I really realized, because I have it close enough, that's like, oh, I can open this up. I can read it in my, on full screen viewer on my Mac, which is quote unquote good enough. And I powered through like five issues. Like it was only three issues, but I read the four or five issues leading up to it, you know, and realized I've got a real soft spot for 
Herb Trimpey Hulk that I think we've talked about. But Roy Thomas is plotting those warlock issues even as Jerry Conway's writing them. So you get to the whole crucifixion and the man-wolf who's the president of the United States who has warlock crucified on counter-earth. I mean, it's absurd. I just wish that people had come out with guitars and played them until warlock came back to life. But, oh man. And um, I'm really gotten off topic here. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm just like, and then Graham, what happens is they do the Last Supper, but the great thing is, is Herb Trimpey either didn't have time to look at the Last Supper or vaguely remembered what it looked like or really hates the Last Supper. So it's the world, like easily out of all the comic book ripoffs of the Last Supper, and there have been a ton, it is easily the most dashed off. It is great. And it's got the Hulk in it. Like, I would, first of all, I, I know these I know these issues you're talking about because they're in the one volume of Essential Hulk that I own. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I tale true life tales of Graham. When Kate and I moved up to Portland, mm-hmm. uh, we knew that we we're going to be spending a night uh, in the new house with nothing, right? Because we drove up and then we knew that this, uh, all our stuff would arrive the next day. Mm-hmm. I bought myself a volume of The Essential Hulk to read that night. Wow. And it was that volume. And that's like, like one of the first stories in it. And I remember reading it being like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. It is. It's insane. And in a way that I just absolutely adored, which is kind of. Well, that's just it. It is kind of marvelous, but also. I mean, it's nuts. It's mm-hmm. absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's crazy. It's that's it. Like it's nuts in a weirdly entertaining way. Yes. As soon as you as soon as you realize, because I hadn't read any of the Warlock stuff prior to that. So as mm-hmm. soon as you realize, which is, I mean, like you said, it's not subtle. Yes. As soon as you realize in the Hulk issues, they're doing a Jesus riff. Yes. There's this weird fascination of how how bad can it get. How obvious can they be? And the answer is very and very. (laughs) Totally. 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 And yet there's something about me that I, again, this is probably where, this is probably how old people end up, um, why you end up disregarding their opinions is I'm like, yeah, just go for it. Like, and God help me. They fucking went for it. My only problem is it wasn't subtle enough you know i mean it was too subtle it was like god couldn't they have really like gone for the full last supper panel and made that bigger because you've got the last supper and the hulk is in it like legitimately you know what i mean like how many opportunities are you going to get a chance to draw a riff on the last supper with the hulk in it you know you're going to get paid someone else is going to read it and you're going to blow their mind like not Maybe not in a good way. Maybe in a very bad way. But it's really going to... <laughs> maybe in the very opposite of a good way. Yeah, it, maybe in the most opposite of a good way that there is. But that is going to be something... Like, you know, like... Honestly, my chances of whatever... What's the last thing you're going to think of before you're going to die? I'm hoping it's not that panel. But it's in the running. It's in. It has a shot. You know? It's a long shot. But it's like, yeah... I, I'm I'm almost going to bet that before third grade or any of my memories from third grade, I'm going to have that fucking memory of that panel in my brain. And that's something that Herb Trimpey, Jerry Conway, and Roy Thomas, who told Jerry Conway what his plot was going to be, 
um, should all feel – I don't know how they should feel about that now that I got to the end of that sentence. Proud. Shall we say proud? <laughs> Shall we say? Guilty. Sure. Yeah. So, Graham, let's talk about Avengers, the first 25 issues. Sure, in the 15 minutes we have left, because we got somewhat off topic. We're going to have to run long, Jeff. We, we what, okay, long. we start talking at 3.30, and so, oh, right, and then it's two hours, and yeah, we're going to have to run long. So, anyway, yes, the Avengers. Uh, yeah, I discovered uh, this thing that maybe you already know, maybe everyone already knows, but I didn't. I was listening to a podcast that Tom Brevoort was on, who's talking about Avengers, and he explained that Avengers was a fill-in book. Avengers issue one was a fill-in book that was created in eight days because uh, Daredevil was seriously behind schedule. Oh, right. You know, you mentioned this. I forgot it and should have remembered it because that it makes... Okay, well, anyway, keep going. Because that's just it. Issue one reads like that, doesn't it? Issue one is an appallingly bad comic. Yeah. You know what? Honestly, I'm going to have to stop you there, Graham, because... (laughs) <laughs> because you should know better. Because by comparison to Avengers number two and three, Avengers number one is pretty okay. You know what I mean? Like Avengers. No, no, no. no. I, 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 I completely disagree. Oh, really? I, I, I think I think Avengers one is terrible, but yeah. in an understandable, it's a fill-in. They did it in eight days. This like it's the concept is so obvious, and you see Kirby and to a lesser extent Stan Lee going, "Well, what the fuck are we doing with this?" I think issues two and three are fascinating because you then see them fail to find anything to do with it. Yeah, well, see, that's it. That's the thing where I'm sort of like the only reason why I think um, to to me knowing it, I think at least Avengers number one as kind of. It, to me, at least it has the let's get the band together. And although it does it badly, I still think that for the most part, the, the, the page, the number of, okay, here's, here's the Avengers fighting the Hulk to here's whatever convoluted excuse that we have to make is pretty okay. But when it's issue, when it's basically it's, the first three issues all feel like the, like, quote unquote, the world's first graphic novel, if it was being written, you know, by two guys who were semi hallucinating with a three hour deadline. Cause it's all kind of the Avengers is such the super non team throughout so much of this through, through those first three issues. It's literally just like, you know, like, where's the page where they go, oh, and it's the Hulk. Fuck you, the Hulk. We knew it was you. And him going, oh, yeah, fuck you. I knew none of you liked me anyway. You know what I mean? Like, every issue that happens. <laughs> that was actually the dialogue. <laughs> fuck you. No, fuck you. Oh. It's the first issues of the Avengers are, are crazy in yeah. that you actually, like, you visibly see Kirby and Lee going, I have no fucking idea what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the best part is you then get to issue four where they bring in Captain America. And it is laughably terrible. Yeah. There are fights there where I swear to God, you know, Lee is just not even just making shit up as he goes along, but he's actively disregarding everything written in the previous page. My favorite is when Captain America wakes up, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, 
fuck's going on? No one ever says, you know, it's 20 years later. And then two pages later, he's like, I remember the last thing was 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, wait, how did he know that? Yeah. There, oh, yeah. There's so many slips and gaps. Did you catch the, the part where Rick Jones gets called Rick Brown for an issue? Oh, and, and uh, Bruce Banner's Bob Banner. For Bob minutes. Banner. Yeah, exactly. Bob Banner, I was new, and it stuck out. But I actually honestly did not notice that Rick Jones was called Rick Brown until somebody complained about it in a letters page like three issues later, which was great. I, I, I'm also – I love that uh, very much until they bring in the quote-unquote new Avengers, but mm-hmm. especially in the first few issues, yeah. you see that Stan Lee, all of his heroes are the same character. yes. Yeah. That yeah, all yeah. of them have exactly the same mannerisms. Even Thor. Mm-hmm. They all talk in exactly the same way. Yeah. And they all have exactly the same reactions to everything. And there is no difference. There is no difference at all. Even the Hulk yeah. responds to situations in the same way. And it's fascinating because it really does. The first few issues of Avengers really show up how weak a writer Lee was. Yeah. You know what? So here's the thing. Um, I'm going to call you back because you started cutting out a little bit on that, which is a shame. Uh, okay. And we're back. Hey, we are back, and you're um, enticingly menacing in your um, yeah. With the, with the I, well, the sun's gone down, Jeff. Oh, has it? Oh, so it has. So it, ha- it, it has. has here at least. I don't know about over there. You know, I we're we've still got a little bit of it here. Frankly, it's still yeah. It's we, we've had a little bit, but I've I've put the blinds down. And I'm trying to keep everything dark for the the sake of the FaceTime. Oh well, that's great. Um, well, you sound good. So, uh, you know, so we'll see. So here's the thing: to jump back with Avengers, um, as yes. since we were talking, the thing that I'm fascinated with with uh, the Avengers is the idea that yes, Stanley as a writer is not quote unquote Stanley yet. What he? Oh, d- definitely. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, he, it, it, it's very, very weak. It's very weak. Kirby as well, I think. Yes, right. And Kirby, the thing that I think is really interesting is it's such a slapdash show, The Avengers, like kind of all the way through. Like it's at least for these first 25 issues. But what really struck me is the first 10 or so are really like kind of the the idea just isn't resonating for, I suspect, Kirby and Lee, or he's super overextended. So kind of what Lee does that Lee ends up doing very well in the Avengers, which I think is worth talking about, because there's so much shit that he is bad. Like, these comics are really these first 25 issues of the Avengers. I remember thinking that, because I hadn't, uh, I thought that it was like, okay, then Don Heck comes in. And they're pretty bad. And the fact is, they're really bad before Don Heck. Um, you've got, I think when Don Heck comes in, they get better. They do get better. They do – well, they get better except, you know, which is they get better 
except for the fact that Don Heck is kind of no Jack Kirby. You know what I mean? Like, you've got things where he's being inked by Wally Wood, for Christ's sakes, and it still looks kind of flat. The action scenes are not especially dynamic, but what happens is because he's actually working harder at it, and also Lee starts getting better at writing the characters, you know, are you still, t- are you talking like the first 15 before they do this switch over the team? I guess so. You know, honestly, I suppose I, I, I no, because the thing that I think is interesting, <laughs> the thing that I is, so. no, no, I don't. Right. Well, no, no, no. Because honestly, I, cause I think I did end up enjoying hex work on, on it. I felt like Kirby was not really enjoying the work on the first 10 issues of Avengers. And I don't know if that's just because he's, throwing it together so quickly, but he's leaping to story beats that, that like you said, Stan Lee either spends a lot of time wallpapering up storytelling mistakes, or sometimes he turns around and decides on a different intention than what Kirby has there. You know, there, there is a massive mismatch between Lee and Kirby, uh, Pretty much in Kirby's entire run as artist. Mm-hmm. What I think is fascinating about this book is you see Kirby try to make it work in a way that Lee doesn't. And Kirby isn't putting his full energy into it at all. It's not like the Fantastic Four issues that were happening at the same time and afterwards where you see Kirby actually innovating and inventing and coming up with new ideas. Mm-hmm. Here, he, there, with the exception of Kang, I think, for Kirby's entire run, it's all familiar villains and it's very familiar tropes as well. Oh, super the, the, familiar. Uh, the Captain America issue in particular is really, really bad in that it's, you know, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and there's no connective tissue. Like, the the wake up, if you take out the dialogue mm-hmm. and, you, you know, imagine how Lee gets this, mm-hmm. they find Captain America, he wakes up, he immediately fights the team for a right. page, mm-hmm. and then he goes straight into his origin story. Right. Which is... It's nuts. And there really is, like you said, a slapdash idea of this from Kirby where he's just like, what am I going to draw? Okay, I'm just going to fill up the pages. Yeah. But what's fascinating for me is you get Kirby doing sub-Kirby work Mm -hmm. for, what, nine, ten issues. Yeah. Then you get Heck being the solo artist for a bit. And then you get three issues of Kirby doing the layouts. layouts. Mm Mm-hmm. Heck doing finished art. And it's the three issues that introduce the new team. And part of me wonders, did Kirby essentially come back and go, this book isn't working, this is what it needs to do? Right. Yeah, I, I have to say, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Um, it Because it's sort of hard to imagine in that hierarchy that he kind of cares. My theory, and I could be wrong, is that... Kirby, as you know, sort of in that way that we see that Kirby, for the most part, has no interest in returning to characters. You, I, um, like it's with the exception of Captain America, there's not a lot of stuff that that Kirby, Jack Kirby comes back to draw in his '70s era of Marvel. It's like, you know, it's like Cap and the Black Panther, and he throws in the Hulk. But for the most part. You know, he's, he very much keeps wanting to throw new ideas, even if they're the same ideas, you know, they're in new clothes. I really got the sense of him drawing, well, 
What I thought was interesting was reading the Avengers, part of it is, if nothing else, Kirby's incredibly aware that what he wants to do with Thor is very different from how Thor would fit into a super team. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of issues where Thor is like, is basically the game ender, you know, in a way that I sort of feel like other people, like, later on realized, oh, right, like, you've got a, the God of Thunder, like, what does a dude in an iron, in an iron suit and a guy with a shield really have to do otherwise, you know? Exactly. They just call in Thor. Yeah, and that's a lot of what – there's times where there's always some – like the only time things start to get dangerous is there's always a, almost always a point toward the end of the episode where some weirdo thing happens and Thor drops his hammer and turns back to Don Blake. And then it looks like the Avengers can lose, you know? And then everybody has to do their shit, put their, get their act together, you know? And it it kind of always – feels like that. So, oh, to say nothing of Giant Man and the Wasp, who are just, I mean, there's so many things that's really wrong with the, with the Avengers book and those early issues that it's really hard not to, like, I want to just cut to the jokes and laugh about it with you. You know what I mean? Because there's so many pages where, like, you would think that Southwest Airlines underwrote the first 10 issues of the Avengers. You know what I mean? Because Every fucking like, they're like, oh, they all get back to New York. Something's happening. Where? Back in the Southwest, you know. And like the giant man, <laughs> it's, it's it is really funny that they're just like, hey, let's go searching for the Hulk. Where was he? New Mexico. Okay, let's go back to New York. Yeah, shows up there. What? He's in New Mexico. Oh shit! Right. Cut to the panel of like Giant Man and the Wasp, like figuring out a new way to smuggle themselves into a jet. You know what I mean? Like it was just hilarious. Oh my god, the shit where it's like we'll all get there our same way, and you're like, this is going to take like eighteen hours, and there are lots of times. <laughs> Where with the Avengers, like Stan Lee's like, oh, son of a bitch, for Christ's sakes, it's halfway across the country. So he'll be things like, especially when they introduce the Executioner and the Enchantress. Like, I swear to God, like, the fact that though, that the Masters of Evil keep popping up time and again, I swear it's half the time so the Enchantress can be like, I have magicked you halfway across the country. Like, you know, thank God. <laughs> Because I swear to God, I can't take one more scene of, like, Captain America having to explain his shield at Passport Customs before getting on a jet. And, oh, my God, let me just say, I'm fascinated by Stan Lee's use of, of Captain America. Like, Stan Lee's use of Captain America is, like, Captain America is so much Stan Lee's Mary Sue in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yes, yes. Um, which is amazing to me. Like there's all, there's like, there's so many scenes where it's like Captain America's like, you know, it's just a panel where they're like, okay, let's go fight the bad guys. And you've got a picture of like Captain America pointing and you've got somebody's thought panel where it's like, he's so forceful. They spring into action like giants. You know what I mean? Like it's. Oh, I, I absolutely love, love when, uh, when you get the new team coming in in issue 16. Oh, which- yeah. It's really when the book starts to come alive. Yes. It's, it's when the book starts to work. And it's not even like it's really working. I mean, I made it as far as issue 25, and the book 
<laughs> still not working. Yes, it's still not. Um, but you have it all becomes about Captain America. Everything yeah. in the book becomes about Captain America oh because you have Hawkeye who wants to take Captain America's place, but will simultaneously be like, "I can't do it like he can." And then you have the Scarlet Witch who's just like, "He's such a man. Look at him. He's graceful and beautiful. Yeah. I love Captain America." And then the captions are pretty much, you know, the same things as Scarlet Witch. Yeah, this graceful, beautiful, athletic American. Exactly. Like, like true Adonis. Yeah. He yeah. shit. Which oh, Captain America, take. It's so true. It's like the red, white, and blue panther lively moves. Like that's, I mean, it is awesome. It's, it, I, I do, I'm fascinated by that idea that Stanley needs to own Captain America, that really cares about Captain America in this huge way. And I don't, at first I thought it was just, because honestly, I do think that for the most part, a thing that that Lee does is that it's, he does do a pretty interesting job of having like jamming in irreverence when you kind of don't expect it. Um, you know, like usually with some of the man on the street scenes, like where they're like, why tell me, you know, that are actually very funny, but he's got a lot of scenes where like, usually every once in a while they'll have someone be like, you know, Iron Man is the smartest man I know. Like in a, in a thought balloon that is kind of, you know, for me was kind of unexpected and effective until, until you really get to Captain America. And then at Captain America, it really becomes everyone is in love with Captain America in this amazing way that is not subtle at all, which is awesome because let's face it. If there is a terrible person on the planet in the first 25 issues of the Avengers, it's Captain America. He is oh, yeah. The, he's, he is hilarious. He is, the, he is a, such a dick. He is a dick and a crybaby. And you know that amazing uh, episode of um, – the Venture Brothers, which is, of course, really close to my mind since I watched all these things, is like I think it's the opener of season three, where uh, Hank gets taken in by Captain Rainbow, who's got this insane, yes. like completely untoward crush on him, and, and wants to make him the sidekick and hates the uh, monarch for having killed the previous sidekick. He looks like Superman, but it's so Captain America. It is so <laughs> Captain America and Bucky. Because reading the shit with Rick Jones. Captain America and Rick Jones in this is hilarious, especially the part there's the episode where uh, Iron Man's like, I think we should make Rick a real Avenger. My favorite part of that scene as well is also, I think we should make our, uh, Rick Jones a real Avenger. He's not got any powers, but we made the Wasp one. Yes! It's his argument, which is absolutely hilarious. Um, but I love it. Captain America's like, I think that's my choice to make, don't you? And uh, they'll oh. go, sure. And then there's no reason why. Yeah. Like Rick is in here in the room. Yeah, he's like, right there. And he's just like, I think that's my decision. And everyone's like, sure. Right. Oh, I know. it's beautiful. It's beautiful how fucked up he is on so many – every level with Rick Jones. Rick – like there's one point where Rick's like, I say we call on a vote to see if we should like move our headquarters. And like Captain America's like, objection, you're not a full Avenger. Sit down and shut up. And it's 
awesome what a dick he is to Rick Jones at every level. And then as soon as Rick tries to leave, he's like, where are you going? Where, what? Oh, Bucky. You know, <laughs> fucking awesome. He is such an asshole throughout the Avengers at every level when Rick Jones is involved. Uh, but it's not just Rick Jones. There's a the part where he leaves the Avengers for no immediately apparent reason. Oh. And he goes, maybe I can become a wrestler. And he goes to the guy and says, hey, I see you're holding uh, tryouts. And the guy says, I don't know. You're a bit skinny. And he goes, I'm going to fucking take you down. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you really hate the guy. Captain, Captain America in the early Lee issues is such a rage fanatic. He's like this raging steroidal crybaby that is awesome by how horrible he is. All the time. It's great. I love the fact where he's like, why, like, he's so, there's a subplot. One of the first subplots of Marvel Comics is Captain America pissed that Nick Fury hasn't written him back after he applies for that job. Uh, Yes, it's so funny. And he has like three issues going, I just hope I get that job. <laughs> Secret society. Oh man, I want for some meal to come. I really want that job. Oh shit. Oh, just, I'm going to get that job. And that's his subplot. Like there'll just be three panels in every issue with him just going, Oh, I really hope that Nick Fury gets back to me soon. No, I know. I hope that he does. Oh, but do you think he's, maybe he's thinking about writing me right now. I what know. It's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's it, it really is. And, but what's really interesting to me about Captain America is also uh, before Kirby leaves the book, there's a, a sort of attempt to update him, I guess, mm-hmm. where you get like the magnet in these gloves and you get characters basically being like, well, your shield's kind of shit. <laughs> you got to have a gimmick. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, there, there's there's a, a attempt of like, okay, we've got these guys and they're super guys. We've got Captain America, but he's not really up to their. It's not really in their league, right. so we have to update him, and that's really quickly dropped. But there isn't a period where it's like Captain America does not measure up to our guys. He needs an extra gimmick. Yeah, a little bit. Although for me, having read, I mean, one of the things that was interesting is. During my time with Marvel Unlimited, the thing that I tried to do was jam a shitload of issues of Lee Kirby Thor's down my throat. And it's, A, it's amazing. Like, I started from the beginning and then had to just jump ahead. Like, where does it stop sucking, basically? And it's it's way up the line. And at some point, I'm like, okay, this is good enough, actually. And after a point and I had gotten in the rhythm, I wanted to jump back. But A, that's an amazing book in terms of watching Lee undercut Kirby's storytelling because he is uncomfortable. Well, not just because he can. One thing that I think is interesting is Stan Lee is incredibly – like a good storytelling choice is he's never happy having things happen by coincidence. So – he will, even in a scene where someone has plotted it, where it's like suddenly a bean snaps or something, he will be something like, someone's, you know, goofed with that beam, or look out, your arrow has cut the beam. You know, things don't happen by accident. There's a lot of like, I meant to do that kind of thing that goes on. Um, so there's no coincidence, which is great, but he never, he never, like Kirby's storytelling has people getting caught by surprise. And usually there's like a scene, like he'll have like Cap and Rick be like, 
there's people behind us in the jungle, and the next shot is them, like, dodging bullets and Rick going, like, good thing you noticed, Cap, you know, and then he's thinking in his brain, like, I've never seen someone so alive to his surroundings, you know, and clearly it was like they were looking at a jet, and then suddenly someone tries to, you know, gun them down and they barely escape, you know, mm-hmm. so there's all kinds of fight scene things where where where. Kirby's, you know, Kirby has one thing and Lee's doing the whole, like, completely undercutting him with, uh, like, you know, I, the only way that, like, my one chance of, like, um, defeating this guy is, like, pretending to be tripped by him sort of stuff. Um, so Captain America, I know from other issues, when they start bringing him back with the tales of suspense, Kirby's using the magnets in the shield to be able to make the shield behave, you know, in its magical way of bouncing everywhere. And eventually they just drop that and go with the shtick of like, no, it's the most perfectly balanced, amazing weapon ever. And Cap Cap can just use it. And, and so is Cap, is the other thing. Yes. Cap is also the most, yeah. That, that's the thing. They, they, and I, I, I think it happens without Kirby. I think it happens at least starts doing it post-Kirby. Mm-hmm. That it's just, Captain America's superpower is that he's perfect. Yes, and it's but it's very much when you jump over to Tales of Suspense and it's Lee and Kirby. Lee keeps that up a lot. He really believes that Captain America is the best guy. He is he is perfect, and he inspires everyone just by being perfect. Sometimes in panels where he's just reading a letter, practically they're like the way he's holding that letter. Um, it's great, and it again, it's great because of how what a hysterical crybaby mess he is. Um, so much of the time, I love it so much. So let me ask well, you: There's, there's, yeah. Who's your? This is at the risk of changing the subject dramatically. Who was your favorite? Did you have a favorite character out of the first twenty-five issues of the Avengers? No. <laughs> Interesting. Because because there's no characters. Well, okay. There's like, no characters. I, I was there. so I was so tempted to say. Yeah, Hawkeye, because I like Hawkeye. Right. Like, everything I like about Hawkeye is not in those issues. No, it's not in those issues. My favorite character you know? in the first 25 oh. issues is the Wasp, which is really weird. Like, Really? Because the, the Wasp basically exists at least for the first 10 of those issues to go, he's so dreamy. Think he'll notice me? Oh, yeah. And then show up at the end. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, she she is different from all the other characters in that she does about me in that she does that. But um, the Wasp is, the Wasp's even belonging in the book is very strange. Yeah. Because during fight sequences, she will disappear entirely. To the point where Lee even calls it out in one of the, the issues. Mm-hmm. 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 Where he's basically like, has anyone seen the Wasp? And she, like, that is like, here I am. Yeah, I saw there was trouble and I thought I'd duck out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like I was hiding behind a corner or something. You know, it's – I guess the thing that's really weird for me is is like because in these issues, Iron Man and Thor and everybody, all the male characters are written so similar for the most part. The only thing that has any difference is sort of the OG Rick Jones the bad guys, which all frankly sound exactly the identical, or the Wasp, who at least is for what, even though she's like, oh, he's so dreamy, she's the only one who. It's a different character. Yeah, is it? She's a, it. It is a different character. It's a different stereotype in his repertoire, but 
but she's also like she's kind of constantly always teasing giant man and always complaining and always like flirting with him and flirting with other people, but also doing that whole like, well, if you don't pay attention to me, mister, I'm just going to go off somewhere else. And, you know, it's, she's the only one that seems to have any charm for me, like at all. Like, and so at a certain point I was like, I found myself being like, Jesus, I hope they can bring in the wasp in somehow. Like there is something <laughs> where she turns around and saves the day. I, oh, where it's like everyone else gets captured and it's just, the Wasp and Rick Jones. Do you remember what issue that is? Like that's. Uh, I totally, I totally don't. I know what you're talking about, and I totally don't remember the issues. That's the thing about reading 25 of them. You're like, it's uh, maybe seven, maybe <laughs> six. Uh, well, and I they're they're all so similar. It's two, so yeah. it's really brutal. I mean, apart from the fact that every other issue has the Masters of Evil showing up, if not, it's some lone member. It's it's like. Kang and Immortus who are really interchangeable at that level, you know, or some other dude, like even when the Mandarin pops up, like his gimmick is exactly the same as everybody else's gimmick. Um, you know, and there's always this weird, like, let's, you know, lead them to our weird headquarters and then throw traps at them and then trap them. Anyway, so everyone gets trapped except for Rick and the Wasp. And the Wasp, I think, figures out how to get everybody out. And I was just like, this is great. Like, I really was. I was like, this is great. You know, I mean, there's part of me that, you know, the weird, now that I'm old and pervy enough to be Alan Moore, I'm like, what's going on with the Wasp's weird psychosexual history, you know? But... Well, but that's just that, like... You can totally do that, but also, do you not have the? You can't really say that because what's going on is Stanley can't write a woman for the lo- to save his life, right? Well, but you know, like it's, I, it's it's kind of unfair to be like, what's really going on in that character? Because right. nothing is. Yes, but honestly, at this point, Graham, I I really just want to correct that. Correct you. Stan, at this stage, Stanley is not writing any character convincingly, male or female. You know what I mean? No, I, I, yeah, I do not disagree. Yeah, so I just wanted to say, it sounded like you were specifically saying his his writing of the Wasp was worse. There's a few things that are sexist, and there's a lot of fight scenes that she disappears in, so she feels super extraneous. But honestly, she's, as comic relief, A, I liked her. But yeah, nobody is a character at this stage. Like with Captain America, you could be like, what's this whole Rick Jones fixation thing on? But it's just it's just Stanley being bad and overwrought. Like these are kind of bad, overwrought comics. You know? Yeah. It, it, that's, that's the thing. It's just, uh, let's just, let's just be honest. It's kind of a terrible comic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like every once in a while, there'll be like sort of a charming sequence, but for the most part, it, it, it is, it's not enjoyable. And it's fascinating to me because I think you and I have both talked about, um, you know, what I would call pre-ignition, uh, Lee Kirby Fantastic Four, those first pre-Joe Senate issues or, you know, the main Joe Sinnott issue since he filled in on issue 11 or something. But, you know, those first 20 or 30 issues where it it doesn't sing, I have to say, in a lot of ways, it sort of felt like a more entertaining comic than this, you know? Have you reread those? Would you feel the same? Or is it just this is uh, I, all I was, at the same I level? Not, I have not reread them since reading this, but I was thinking that myself. Mm-hmm. This definitely feels like the the poor stepchild 
of of the Marvel books. This seems like the one that they didn't really care that much about, yeah. and kind of the one e- even when the because I I think that the early issues of the X Men are much better than these issues as well. Mm, interesting, interesting. You know, I, I this seems like the one where they didn't really like. It was a surprise success that they didn't know what to do with, and they were like, Whoa. <laughs> right. Right, right. Well, and half the thing is is by opening up the character, by you know changing the team up, it really does start to open up. Even though they're not fully characters, at least they're all kind of different in a way that Iron Man and you know, like there's just something that was inhibiting them, inhibiting Lee and Kirby or Heck or whomever at the time. That at least it opens up a little bit. So yeah, I, I would, I would actually like to visit the early X-Men and see if you're right on that. You know, there's just a way in which part of me is like, I feel like maybe everybody's spread too thin at this point, you know? Cause if you think about the idea that Lee and Kirby were doing this and X-Men and Fantastic Four and Thor at the same time, and maybe there's other stuff that I'm forgetting, you know, it's, it really, is kind of it's sort of not surprising that it's all terrible but it is it's amazing that people did think that it was good like it clearly spoke out for something for a need that that people had for it to not you know what i mean for something different yeah what's amazing to me is comparing this to like the justice league stories that were going on at the same time Mm -hmm. justice league is so much more fun for me Justice League is, is so much more enjoyable a reading experience than right. these early Avengers are. Yeah. Well, I think there I think there's something to it. I you know, it's kind of interesting cuz you know, as you may remember I was doing my my faux I started a read through of the Hulk that kind of fell by the wayside and I had made yeah. it up to the stuff where Ditko had taken over. Um and actually one of my favorite like really surprising sequences in this run of Avengers is there's an issue where they're looking for the Hulk and the Hulk is busy fighting the leader and they have panels inserted from that story without showing that it's the leader. And it's surprisingly tight continuity in a way that I don't know why they did it or how they did it, but it's like, it's way close. It's way, it's way more tighter and consistent than you, than what you see with like a lot of superhero crossover events now, like in a way. Yeah. Um, but well, what did you read the thing in the, uh, did, are you reading all the bullpen bulletins and the, the letters pages? I was reading the letters pages until I started to fall behind. In fact, I was going to talk, uh, it, talk about a fan nerd moment there in a second. There's, um, there's a moment after they do the switch over to the new team mm-hmm. where the, Explain the truth, quote unquote, behind why they changed the team. And the reason given is we couldn't do the Avengers realistically with the characters who had their own books because we'd always have to explain why they weren't all, why everything wasn't coinciding with their own books. And you got the idea that they actually genuinely did care about continuity in a weird way back then. I, I think they did. I think there was a point where Lee started to put the pressure of continuity on himself and realized he couldn't do it. But you do have a couple of issues where Iron Man's out because Tony Stark is dead, which, you know, having read those issues, I know what they were talking about. Or issues where, like, Thor is gone because he's being summoned to Asgard. And it was like, yeah, I, I actually do buy that as a reason. Unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't get that far through it. Oh, anyway, so yeah, I think Lee really was trying to keep an eye. It, it, there's a point where the continuity gets laudable, even though it doesn't really help the story at all. Um, 
But in one of the issues of the Hulk, there was somebody who was complaining that basically the Hulk started out, that the Hulk was great when he started out. Now he's just a big phony, you know? And I kind of wonder the extent to which Marvel Comics really was the comic the punk rock comic, you know, the comic for maladjusted kids. Like they were like, yeah, like the fact that these comics are kind of ugly and fucked up and, and that the characters are really dicks to each other so much yeah, of the com- time. It's inc- Avengers is an incredibly misanthropic comic. Yeah, very much so. Like I thought, especially the- before, especially before the new team. Like yes. The original team, they all hate each other. Yeah, all the time. They're turning around, hating each other, squabbling, distrusting each other at, a, at the drop of a hat, which is why it's great when it's the breakup issue and they're all like, I will always carry the memories I had. Ugh. I've never known a better friend than Iron I Man. Do not, you know? I also do not love that, that none of them leave. They're all <laughs> like, it's a leave of absence. Yes. Yeah. I, but they're all, they're all pretty much like, I'm do- you know, I've got other shit to do, you guys. Yeah. I can't hang around with you all the time. I'm going to take a leave of absence. And then as soon as everyone's like, yeah, me too. They're like, what? The team, <laughs> the team we built has fallen apart. What has happened? I love it. I mean, there is a way in which reading this, I'm like, I, there is a part in which I was like, I would love to see a super team that are dicks like this again. You know, in, uh, I mean, it really is like the, the first 25 of issues of Avengers, those characters are way closer to the characters from Arrested Development than you would like to admit, you know? Um, <laughs> and so there's a way in which I'd kind of like to see, I'd like to see an Arrested Development Avengers like this again. But at the time, you know, but being done deliberately at the time, it's just, just, just terrible writing, just terrible histrionic writing that really did. Did you get the feeling, like reading this, I really got the feeling like, I don't think Stanley was that great to work with. Like, you want to believe that he was a great guy to work with, but his leadership roles are always like, I'm the leader! Listen to what I say! Don't pick up that pencil! And then they're like, gosh, he's a leader, you know? <laughs> yeah, he, he's so dreamy. Yeah, definitely. And also... That other people will want to take charge and will always be shown lacking. Yeah. Always be shown lacking, you'll, but you'll also, always yeah. have other people, you mm-hmm. always have other people being like, I could do his job. And then they will A, show, prove that they can't and B, have secret thoughts that they know that he was right, the cap was right to begin with. Right. Right. Which really gets into like, you know, I think honestly, the, the scary abusive love relationship of cap with Rick Jones really cap gets the boyfriend he deserves in Hawkeye. Cause those two clearly have some, some crazy hate sex going on. If you know what I'm talking about, cause it's, um, it is amazing. In fact, Hawkeye actually seems, I don't think he's being, because he's written that way. Like he will literally say like, Oh, go die. You old fossil. And in the same panel, his, his thought balloon is something like, I think I'm being too hard on the bravest man I've ever known. You're like, it's yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's hilarious. It really is. I hate you and I could take over. Why don't you just fucking die? Thought balloon. But uh, he's so brave, even as I'm insulting him cruelly. I'm <laughs> acting this way to the greatest man who's ever lived. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, third th- it was it was an entertaining read. There were times where I was laughing out loud, but I cannot really say that they were yeah, the the it'll be I, I we really need to keep track of when Avengers becomes like a good comic 
and God help me. I am I am really tempted to say when Stanley leaves and Roy Thomas comes on board. You know, I thought so too, so I have my fingers crossed, but honestly, from what I remember, at least from Roy Thomas on the X-Men, he's so faithful to what Stanley's doing that we're going to get at least another 10 to 15 issues of it being exactly that bad. You know what I mean? Like, of him doing exactly Stan Lee's stuff. So you're going to get that before it finally starts opening up. And Roy Thomas finally starts being stuff like where people are like, you know what, Cap, I was too hard on you. I'm not going to act like a dick anymore. And it literally, unlike the Stan Lee issues, won't be the next panel where he's like, you know, shut up. <laughs> I, I pray it comes soon, Graham, because let me tell you, I'm I'm glad I have a little bit of time before I start in on the next 25 issues. Yeah, this was it, kind it's, of it, it was rough, wasn't it? It like, really was. I said about you. I read this for in I, – I started Monday and this is – yes, I guess I read 25 issues in three days. Yeah, I – And that that was that, – that, it felt like a trial because they're not particularly good comics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and it makes sense that people very smartly will probably say in the comments they were not designed to be read in that short a period of time and or arguably never designed to be reread, but uh, – Never designed to be read. <laughs> it's really a step up from that, barely. Uh, but but it was. It was tough. So I, I, I'm going to have to simultaneously take a break to recover but not let my gift self get so behind that I have to read that many issues all at once because it was. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm going to try and stay a bit more on top. Are we going to do it every two weeks, or are we going to talk like Are we going to read a year at a time and then? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, let's do. We should do twelve issues per episode because the twenty-five. This reading twenty-five all in the course of one was pretty grueling, you know. So okay, the listeners, you've just heard us talk for half an hour about Avengers and the fact that we kind of think the first issues are shit. <laughs> fun shit, but kind of shit. Yeah, fun uh, shit, yeah, but oof. Mm-hmm. But yeah, next week, hopefully, we'll get to the good stuff. And by next week, I, I, you mean two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, next episode. Yeah, next episode. Next installment, we're getting to the good stuff. Please, God, please. Um, also, for people who are kind of curious, I should point out, if you know your quote-unquote obscure science fiction authors, um, I don't know if you noticed this, Graham, but issue 12 of The Avengers has a two-page letter page. On page one is a letter from George R.R. R. Martin. Um, and page two has a letter from Steve Erickson the science fiction writer from Los Angeles. Uh, both of those guys must have been 12 when, or, or younger when they wrote their letters and are way more enthusiastic about the Avengers than Graham and I were. That is spectacular. Yeah. I, I, I was that like, oh. Spectacular. Well, maybe, that's, maybe that's the right age. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's what they say, you know. But, but I just love the fact that there was actually two – "Quote unquote famous writers in one letter column of the Avengers, uh, and and also like I spent all this time being like, oh Steve Erickson, who for people who don't know, it's not the Steve Erickson who wrote fantasy novels, writes fantasy novels, but the Steve Erickson who wrote uh, Tours of the Black Clock and uh, other um, sort of Ballardian inspired uh, uh, science fiction stuff uh, has unlike Martin." Erickson has never mentioned the fact that he wrote letters to Marvel Comics, at least not that I could find online, but he 
did indeed grow up in exactly the same neighborhood listed in the address of the letter. So I'm I'm 90% sure it's him. That's awesome. Yeah, kind of cool, huh? Also, did you see that one ad where it's like the woman who's like, you know, with convalesce shake, I make sure that I never become skinny. Like it's like some yes! actress. Oh, God, that, yes, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's great. It's like, you always have to worry about being too skinny. And, you know, thanks to Nutrition Shake, you know, and, and it is, a, it's the panel in the, the portion in the corner where they're like designed for like women, young children and convalescents. I'm like, yes, clearly all of those are reading comic books at this very minute. Um, it you, was know, you never know. They did say that Marvel is reaching out to a whole new audience. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Ooh, boy. <laughs> Uh, hey, so before we finish this podcast, I have breaking news for you, which will be breaking news by the time this podcast comes out. But you might be interested slash amazed by this. Yes. Uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as we've been recorded, has uh, announced that J. August Richards really is going to turn into Deathlock on the show. No shit. Yep. <sighs> what? Oh... Was there rumors that that was coming, Graham? Yeah. So someone, I can't even remember who it was. Maybe Mark Bernardin? Someone <laughs> made a guess after the last episode, because the last episode started with, uh, or rather ended with that character waking up after his supposed death. Mm-hmm. And he was missing an eye and possibly a leg. Uh, and you saw through his sights and he had a computer readout in his, in his eye. Wow. And someone's like, are they making him into Deathlock? And they have just confirmed, yes, they are. They are making him into Deathlock. Wow. Wow. I can't imagine how that would matter to anybody <laughs> in in the real world. But that's kind of interesting. Not that I will ever watch that show, because I'm sure they'll blow it. But wow, that's kind of amazing. So now you know, it's another reason for you to start watching Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't even say it with a straight face. Oh, man. So, and it's kind of funny. I was going to ask. I'm like, wait. So, is that the black guy? And yep, yes, sure enough, it's the black guy who's now been in like three episodes. Oh, shame on you, Marvel. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I it uh, that's amazing news. Um, that's Marvel marching forward into the past. <laughs> Shit. That's what they do, Jeff. That's what they do. I know. I know. There's Just... IP to be manipulated. Oh man, <laughs> IP freely. I have to go. I have to go anesthetize myself now, Graham. So, <laughs> and with that, with that <laughs> bombshell, listeners. <laughs> oh man. Okay, we will be back in two weeks. Uh, we will be talking about uh, exciting comics news, exciting comics you've read, and Avengers, which may or may not become exciting as we read it. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, so we'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Yes, thank you very much. And bye!